The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the No More Late Fees podcast. I'm Danielle. And I'm Jackie, and we're just two best friends and ex-Blockbuster employees re-watching some of the best and worst movies from the late 90s and early 2000s. This week, we're talking about the 2003 heist remake, The Italian Job. But before we dive in, let's get into some housekeeping. I think we did pretty good that time. I never know. (laughs) I've given up. (laughs) (laughs) If you love the podcast and you want to support us, here are a few ways that you can. You can write us a review. It helps us get more listeners and you can be featured on the podcast. So help us grow and head over to Apple, Spotify, Podchasers, iHeartRadio, Good Pods, or whatever favorite podcast platform you listen to. Make sure you leave us a review. Please. Pretty please. And if you like what you hear and want to support us further, you can make a one-time donation. We call it our buying us a virtual cup of coffee. Just head on over to ko-fi.com slash no more late fees. And you can also go to our store on Redbubble and purchase some merch. We have some brand new merch up, so you should definitely check it out. It's at nomorelatefees.redbubble.com. Now, let's get into the plot or lack thereof, of the Italian job, Jackie. Tell us about the movie. After a heist in Venice, Steve, played by Edward Norton, turns on his partners in crime, killing safecracker John Bridger, played by Donald Sutherland, and keeping all the gold for himself. The rest of the team, including leader Charlie Croker, driver Handsome Rob, explosives man Left Ear, and tech geek Lyle, vow revenge. They enlist the help of Bridger's daughter, Stella, and plot to recover the gold from Steve's Los Angeles mansion. It stars Mark Wahlberg, Charlize Theron, Edward Norton, Seth Green, Jason Statham, Yasin Bay, who went by Mostef at the time, Frankie G, and Donald Sutherland. It was directed by F. Gary Gray. I was like, why'd you put F. Gary Gary? That's not his name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Screenplay was by Donna and Wayne Powers. It was based on The Italian Job, a 1969 film by Troy Kennedy Martin, and you can currently watch it on Paramount or Showtime. But before we start, let's get into our ratings rewind. So you know the drill. Before we get into the movie, we will reveal the rating our Y2K versions of ourselves would give. Then at the end, we'll see if our current selves agree with our initial rating. Our scale consists of would buy it, would buy it again. The best would play on repeat. Five-day rental. Would watch again. Two-day rental. Okay, but nothing to write home about. And same-day rental. Trash. Straight-up trash. So what about you? What was your Y2K rating of the Italian job? 
I don't know what happened with this movie because <laughs> I thought I watched it, remember nothing about it. And you know, I love a heist movie. Right. So I don't know. I don't know what happened. So, so did you not see this movie? Maybe is it a never seen? I don't know. I thought I had, but I literally, there's <laughs> nothing I remember about. I'm going to go never seen. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I remember seeing this movie. It's a five-day rental for me. I know I didn't purchase it, but I, I do remember the feeling of being like, I really like this movie. Also, I too like a heist movie. Yeah. And during this time frame, we were getting a lot of like heist car movies. Like we had this one. We had, I mean, within a span of a few years, like not mm -hmm. exactly in this year. We had Entrapment the Thomas Crown Affair, we had all the Fast and the Furious movies, which eh, weren't heist movies at first. Well, I guess they were. They always were for heist movies yeah. now that we just rewatched it. On a 60 seconds. My favorite is After the Sunset, another Pierce Brosnan heist movie. After the Sunset? I'm, what is the, I've never seen that one. Pierce Brosnan, Selma Hayek, and they like go to steal a diamond off of a yacht what this it's must so be... good never in my life okay i gotta see the cover because you know <laughs> it's either i just never seen it or yeah D pierce brosnan salma hayek okay. woody Harrelson, don Cheadle. i've seen pierce. the cover so yeah. it's just i never saw it okay well it's in our time frame and then of course the ocean 11 movies yeah at this time so and then we got like a national treasure, like a like I think a year later. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, because because now in my mind I was like national treasure must have came out in 2001, but it didn't. So like 2003, like towards the end of our time frame, which is 2000, mm -hmm. right before our time frame ends, which is 2005. Because as we all know, I'm very upset that we cannot do the real national treasure, which is national treasure two, on this podcast. <laughs> so man run treasure is gonna help us out with that yeah <laughs> <laughs> so this movie had a budget of 60 million dollars it made 176.1 million dollars so it did you know it, it's a success mm -hmm. i would say um it premiered at the tribeca film festival in 2003 and then was released theatrically in the u.s that same month may 30th 2003 and it, along with Finding Nemo and Wrong Term, in its opening weekend, it grossed 19.5 million. It ranked number three behind Bruce Almighty and Finding Nemo. And Paramount, Paramount, because I believe domestically at the time it hadn't hit the hundred million dollar like mark, they wanted to get it there, so they re-released the movie August 29th, um, and they did. They they hit it. They hit the domestic mark and obviously with international got to 170 something. So, yeah, I'm very excited that this is our first F. Gary Gray movie. One, because love to highlight a black director. He started as a lot of movie directors, especially in this time frame that we've seen a few started in music videos. He definitely was it's, it's started off in, in rap videos and he did Friday which you know 
we've talked about this before we haven't done Friday but just that everyday kind of movie like a day in the life Mm -hmm. Uh, so it was kind of like in that time period where we were right outside of those I don't know what the right I'm trying to think of the phrase of it oh hood movies like the Mm -hmm. you know hood movies but it took a hood movie and kind of turned it on its head a little bit so I've always liked this stuff and he's connected to the Fast and the Furious franchise as well as Charlize and Jason who's also in this movie so who would have thought Fast and the Furious outliving (laughs) (laughs) well there was supposed there was rumored to be a sequel I think they I can't remember what they were going to call it the Brazilian job thank you which I would have had a field day with (laughs) well and like they call this the Italian job but they're in Italy for literally like two ten minutes of the movie yeah it should have been the LA job yeah and obviously the Brazilian job never got made but in 2015, in an interview, Mark Wahlberg said that he was still open to a sequel to The Italian Job. I mean, maybe there's a small population of hardcore Italian Job fans. If you look at this cast, at the time, most of this cast was, you know, pretty famous. But who they are now is just like a whole nother level. Yeah. I'm even looking at your background and like Jason being so small, because like this was one of I think he had done the transporter. The transporter was like huge at this point. I, I Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he got that after. Let me see. Uh, transporter was 2002. Yeah. So he did the transporter. And I think that was the thing that blew him up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but now like he's a full-blown action star. And Donald, President Snow Sutherland over there. <laughs> I mean, he was always. <laughs> a I know, star. but like now I just can't unsee President Snow and <laughs> it makes me irrationally angry towards Donald Sutherland. Sorry. And Charlize, at this point in her career, I feel like we saw her in like in a few dramas, but not the action queen that we know her to be. Even when I think about it now, her, Michelle Rodriguez, Angelina Jolie, they all did like these car movies and then went on to be like huge action stars Mm -hmm. in their own right, which is kind of cool. But I want to talk about Edward Norton and his casting. Like if the drama, (laughs) (laughs) if there was a definition of phoning it in, and it's so funny because it was something that I feel like the first time I saw this movie, I recognized that he was just like, didn't give a fuck. Yeah. I just got that feeling. And there's a reason he didn't, he didn't give a fuck. That's why it felt that way. So it, he made it very clear that the only reason he participated in this film was a result of a contractual ob- obligation. And if most of you guys don't know, a lot of actors, especially back then, they would make studio deals. So, you know, they would get one project greenlit and then, you know, sign on for two or three more movies that they had to do with the studio. And so Edward Norton did that with his big movie, Primal Fear in 1996. Um, And he had been avoiding doing any of the other movies Paramount was throwing his way. And they finally were just like, you know what, bitch, you're going to be in this movie. You're going to be in it. Sorry. I don't. (laughs) 
Edward Norton is not a favorite of mine. No. And this movie feels so fun. Like, who wouldn't want to be in just, like, a fun heist movie? Apparently, I, I just feel like, based on this limited knowledge we have, maybe he he considers himself somewhat of... An actor. An actor, and it was beneath him. But then we get him in The Glass Onion just being all sorts of ridiculous. Edward Norton... I think in real life is an asshole. I just I'm glad I, you said it and I didn't know. <laughs> no, I mean like there has been so many different tellings of his different movies he's been on where he's acted like a big old brat. Obviously, he is not in the MCU. We have Mark Ruffalo because of all the backfighting that happened with him being the Incredible Hulk and just not being able to come to some sort of agreement with Marvel and Disney. Not to say, I mean, all those things could be actually valid, but just knowing that he didn't want to do this, but instead of just showing up and doing it and say, okay, I didn't want to do it, but I did it Mm -hmm. and was professional about it. Like on set, he wasn't the nicest at all. That's what I, I I think that's what leads my me to my asshole conclusion is because you hear enough stories about a certain actor clashing on set with the director or the other actors. And essentially, like, it boils down to, like, well, if it's happening on multiple sets with multiple casts, multiple directors, the issue is not them. The issue is you. <laughs> yeah. Also, with Edward Norton... Oh, it's gone. Oh, he did when the producers handed out gifts to the cast because of the movie's surprisingly strong box office performance. Norton returned the gift with a note saying, give this to someone you actually like or someone who actually likes you. Like, couldn't just leave well enough alone. Like, dude, you signed a contract with Paramount that you would be in three of their movies. (laughs) You were in a a movie that launched your career, Primal Fear. Like, just suck it up and do the other two. It's just the way the process works sometimes. And also, he not him, but I'm just thinking about when we did The Fifth Element and Gary Oldman said, look, I don't even watch that movie. I don't like my performance. I didn't want to be in the movie, but I owed the director a favor. And he gave... A thousand and ten percent to that character. Like, even if he didn't want to do it, even if it was obligatory, he at at least immersed himself in the role. Yeah. And he's always surprised at how many people love that movie, but like, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't get it. And that's okay because not everyone gets it. Right. Like, this is just a fun caper movie. Why not just have fun with it, Edward Norton? Right. I'm already uh, upset. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's never fun <laughs> to to hear that someone is, you know, not a great person in real life. Yeah. And again, he's such a good actor. I feel like he could have added so much more to this role if he really committed to just being a swarm, swarm, swarm I can't think of what word, but like a shitty guy. He could have just a been himself. Guy. Thank you. You're welcome. I don't know what I was um, trying to say. Yeah, like, 
and it wasn't like it was a bad script like like we said it's just a lot of action scenes so there's not a whole lot of dialogue i mean they gave the characters backstories at least like it could have been a lot worse than what it was and his character literally had the most interesting role (laughs) yeah he could have done so much more with it yeah okay (sighs) shall we begin yeah (laughs) (laughs) so the opening credits we uh venice canal your schematics we see donald sutherland's character john purchasing a beautiful diamond necklace and then he calls his daughter played by charlize theron her name is stella and says like i've sent you a gift And she asks, does it have a receipt? So very obviously setting up that he he's not on the up and up a lot of the time. (laughs) I was at first I thought she meant like, is it a person that he he was sending her way? But then then it clicked for me. (laughs) I, I do find that like it's interesting seeing her in this role because it felt like she played this character very subdued, very... Mm -hmm timid yeah which so weird like I I've never I'm not used to seeing her like that yeah she always plays super strong characters yeah so to see someone that kind of is unsure of themselves or just hangs back a little bit and doesn't just fully immerse themselves with the task except for driving yeah, no, when she's driving, when she did the driving scenes, she just lit up like yeah. all the time. <laughs> I also found it hard to believe her relationship with, is it Charlie? Mark Wahlberg's character, who also was like a more subdued version of himself. But I guess that's also part of Charlie's character that he does hang back. He comes up with a plan. He doesn't have to be like the center of attention kind of thing. And he's the one that like keeps the the calm for the group, right? Because they're, I mean, these are pretty big characters. I mean, when yeah. you, when you look at Lyle, played by Seth Green, and Handsome Rob, played by Jason, Str- is it Strat Stratum Statum? No, Statum. Yeah, Statum. Yeah. Statum. Statum. <laughs> <laughs> I always have a hard time with his name. And Channing Tatum. 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 <laughs> Why do you say it like that? Tatum. <laughs> Tatum. I feel, like, I feel like that's how Willow, when she's like saying her her words, would T- say Anna. <laughs> Gosh, I love her. She's so cute. <laughs> so through the course of the conversation we find out that john is out on parole and essentially has like skipped his parole and is now in venice and she said you told me that you were through with this shit please don't break my heart Mm. (laughs) well Oh, and then she does ask, is Charlie there too? Because that would confirm her suspicions that they're doing a job in Venice and not just on vacay. Right. And I think he avoids answering that question, Mm -hmm. which tells her everything that she needs to know. Yeah. So 
it seems as though John has always come up with the plans and, and the heists. And then Charlie was kind of like his wingman. But this is the first job that they're doing where Charlie has planned everything. And John is just there to be a safe cracker. Apparently it runs in the family because we find out a little later on Stella is also a safe cracker, but in a legal sense, she works with the police department and cracks safes for crime scenes and things like that. And Charlize did work with a safe cracker to kind of learn the techniques that are, are shown on screen. So we see handsome Rob, Lyle, and leftier on a boat they go into i called it a garage for boats okay essentially <laughs> uh, and while they're kind of getting into position on the boat underneath this building in the garage for a boat edward norton is inside the building and he's setting up explosives so seth green is kind of the technological mastermind he can map a house or a room and do measurements and math in his head really quickly. So he's able to tell them like exactly where to put the explosives so that when they detonate the explosives, the floor under the safe is blown up. And so it's going to fall all the way down, which it does. And, but he keeps saying at first, you don't, you see a safe in a room. And so you assume, but he keeps saying baby, our baby's in there. And yeah. I'm like, please stop calling it our baby i don't i don't like it <laughs> <laughs> so they detonate safe falls boat takes off and it has like this big rectangle with like a sheet covering it and so the bad guys or the people that they have now just robbed assume that the boat is taking off with the safe so they go to chase after them well haha the safe has just fallen into the water. And so Charlie, it was Charlie, John, and someone else. Was it Leftier? I think. Maybe. We're all underwater. Water, John cracks the safe, and then we it is revealed it's a bunch of gold bars. So they load that up and get out just as kind of the police arrive to the area handsome rob and lyle get away and in this scene like obviously they're on boats in venice venice like shooting this scene was very difficult and tight because the venice authorities were like had a lot of restrictions and was watching them like a hawk but they did allow them to go over the speed limit that they have for boats to, to shoot this scene, which was nice. And this is probably why they ended up opting to shoot in, to shoot in America, LA. in LA, yeah. instead of Italy, because, you know, just shooting the, this one seat, like part of the movie was, you know, so restricted. But it's also funny that they shot in LA and at during this time, when they were shooting this movie, there was there was SWAT was shooting at the same time as well as Hollywood Homicide. And they were all shooting the streets of downtown LA. So that must have been Walker Byers' dream. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I love walking on a set. It's like my favorite thing. So it's kind of cool. So they all rendezvous in the alps is that where they were the italian alps to the alps are the alps in italy 
I thought they're in Switzerland, but they I don't know if they extend to I to there, maybe. Did you find oh, out? Yep. Yep, Italian Alps. There we go. And so for some reason, like it was the most random rendezvous point because they're like literally freezing their asses off on the middle of the top of like this mountain. I yeah, I'm not sure why they're there. I'm sure there was a reason. But like they're celebrating with champagne and Donald Sutherland's character's name. What is his name again? John. John is just, you know, praising Charlie for doing such a good job planning everything. And there's a moment where the camera does pan to, of course, now I have to like scroll. Yes. There's a, a part where the camera pans to Steve and you kind of see like a like a twinge in his face that he's annoyed jealous even about the praise john is giving to charlie and then they all say like what they want to do with the money and Mm -hmm. everybody has like everybody's so creative (laughs) everybody has really creative ideas of like what they want to do or they thought it out and when it gets to steve he is just like "Mm, i guess i'll do a little bit of what everybody else is doing like so it, it it's mentioned throughout the film that he is not the most creative person. Mm-hmm. He's basic. He's a basic thief. Yeah, basic Steve. Yeah. <laughs> and and John does turn to Charlie at this point. He's like, "Don't well to the group." He says, "Don't spend it. Invest it. Like right. you don't want to spend your whole life doing this." Especially the the heist was like thirty five million in gold bars. And I did the calculations and that's 5.8 million each. Like you could live very comfortably for a while. Right. On that. But John does tell Charlie, like, don't make this your whole life. There's two types of people that steal those to enrich their lives or those who define their life by being a thief and, and don't be the latter find someone you want to spend the rest of your life with and and don't let them go essentially and, and this is how we know john gonna die because any character that is just giving out like all of these life wiz- advice right for like the moment his character opens his mouth it's just Fortune cookie after fortune cookie after fortune cookie. Well, it compounded with the fact that he's already said, like, called his daughter in an earlier scene pretty much for no reason, like, look for my gift. I'm like, oh, well, that was his goodbye. Right. To her. But I always wondered what the gift was. It's a necklace. She uh, has it in a later scene. I missed that. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, it turns out Steve's a dirty, dirty rat double crosser <laughs> jerk face. I didn't know how to end that. <laughs> <laughs> he so there's they're driving on a bridge, it's like one way, and so a Jeep comes and kind of barricades them on the bridge. Steve essentially holds the van they're driving in hostage while they load all of the gold into the Jeep. And then John's trying to smooth things over. And he's like, Hey, Steve, like, let's talk about this. Steve shoots him. And then 
the van goes over the side of the bridge into this freezing ass water. And they're still shooting at the van as it's like sinking to the bottom. Lucky for the the team, they have like air regulators from like the diving portion of their heist earlier still in the car. So they're able to stay underwater and kind of hide and you see bullets kind of whizzing past and stuff. And eventually when John, when Steve stops shooting, John's body floats to the surface. And that's when Steve and his hooligans take off. You can see Charlie is very upset. He has John's body on shore and is just very, very (laughs) distraught. In this scene, I don't know if it was so cold that his tears froze up because I didn't see not a tear. (laughs) That had to be some of the... Fakest crying I've ever seen. Go ahead, try Mark. Go ahead and try. <laughs> wasn't wasn't believing it. Sorry. So now it's a year later in Philadelphia. This is when we find out Stella's a safe cracker is hired by the police department a lot, and so she cracks a safe that they've hired her to crack. And she just like walks away and someone's like, do you want to look inside? And she's like, I, I never look inside. It's just my policy. She cracked the safe in four minutes and 43 seconds. So she's pretty damn good at her job. And then when she gets back to her office, Charlie is there waiting for her. And this is the only scene where two women are talking to each other. I believe. Let me ask Google. This passes the Bechdel <laughs> test. I wasn't sure because they still end up talking, mentioning a man, but I think it does. Well, we'd have to have two named women. Oh, she's not named, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm getting to it. Okay. Like, Becky doesn't even have lines in this movie, nonetheless, talk to anybody else. Oh, that's true. So we do have two named women, but Becky and and Stella do not talk to each other, let alone something other than a man. So no, it does not pass. Alas. And there was a woman writer on this. Yeah. Screenplay. Mm. (laughs) So Stella is not happy to see Charlie. She said she never wanted to see him again. You pulled my dad in for one last job, and that's how he got killed, like, GTFO. And Charlie says, well, I found Steve in L.A. And he says, like, it's not, and she's like, you're going to go steal the gold back from him. What the fuck are you doing? And Charlie says, it's not about the gold. John was like a father to me, too. And so it's a revenge plot with the side of gold. Right. But she says no. She's like, yeah. I, I'm not I'm not trying to do this. No. I'm not a thief. Right. But, but then she goes home and she's kind of reminiscing. She sees pictures of her and her dad that she has up in the house. And then that's when she has the necklace that she's looking at. And so then she calls Charlie and says um, <laughs> that she's in. She wants to see the look on that man's face when his gold is gone. Um, And this is one of the scenes where Mark Wahlberg is not wearing lifts. He's playing basketball with handsome Rob in this scene. And 
So apparently, because I, I I did question this because I know Charlize is way taller than him. Mm-hmm. Probably most of the guys on the set, except maybe Edward. So to enhance his height in this movie, and they did some, I could tell they did some camera angles as well to yeah. make it seem like he was taller, which I'm just like, you know, if he's shorter, what's the big deal? You know, yeah. but he wore shoes with lifts throughout the movie except in the opening scene with Donald Sutherland, which I think is hilarious that it's fine for Donald to be taller than him, but not his love interest. And two basketball scenes with Jason and Seth. So essentially anytime Charlize wasn't around, he (laughs) didn't wear the lips. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) Uh, And it's so funny because like, I really enjoy Charlize's whole catalog of movies. Like she's, very diverse in what she chooses and it seems like a lot of the time she chooses movies um that either really resonate with her or are going to be a blast to shoot mm-hmm. so like in the long shot she's taller than seth rogan like and from an outsider perspective out of his league type thing and like it just works because she is who she is and she makes her character her own and like isn't bothered by those appearance type influences yeah so i appreciate that about her movie we also can't forget to say that she drives a red mini cooper in this movie and so yes she cracks safes but she also is unnecessarily driving them streets dirty and it's the the initial Mini Cooper that she drives is the vintage style from the 1960s, which is a throwback to the original movie. But then, like, when they do the heist, mm-hmm. um, they, they have modern Mini Coopers that they use. I also um, think it's funny that she got two speeding tickets when she was filming this movie, because why not? <laughs> she was having too much fun yeah she said that after filming driving so fast she just couldn't get her speed down on the drive home at that point i'd be like can can someone just drive me home <laughs> facts like i can't trust myself right now and the cast did say that Charlize was easily the best driver among them. So I guess she had that on her resume when she auditioned for <laughs> whatever Fast and Furious movie she was oh on. Oh my God. <laughs> a damn movie. So Charlie reports back to the rest of the team and Handsome Rob is concerned that she's too emotional. And, and Charlie kind of defends her and is like, no, like we need her to be invested in this. And so, I, I mean, I think it's a valid point, you yeah. know, and I don't, and he's not saying it. she's emotional because, you know, she's a woman mm-hmm. he's saying, cause like, this is the person who killed our father, yes. you know, who wouldn't go off the rails potentially. So I'm not surprised. And I think Charlie kind of comes back with like, he was all, he was important to all of us. So we're all emotionally invested, not just right her. And so then they they kind of meet in this industrial area area under like an overpass and Lyle shows up on this motorcycle <laughs> that is too big for him. He can't hold up. He can't drive it. He drops it. He's just trying to be cool in Lyle. Yeah, everybody's car 
gives you a glimpse at their personality. So mm-hmm. I don't know the names of these cars, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try to tell this part of the story, which okay, is go ahead. <laughs> Handsome Rob, I wanna say has an American I don't it's not necessarily maybe it's a muscle car. I don't know. And then Lyle has again that flashy motorcycle he is constantly doing things that he believes would potentially get him women but like don't get him women at the same time so he he thinks that the motorcycle will make him look cool and then left ear he's got i would say an old man's car an old black grandpa's car a hundred percent like it used to be a pimp car kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like real, just chill. I'm trying to find. What and then are. Charlie is in the car with Stella. So we don't get to get a, a sense of like what his car choice would be. So he, he needs a ride. He needs a ride. <laughs> <laughs> but also it's funny because most deaf Yasin Bay also needed a ride because he lived in New York City. He needed more work than everybody else when it came to the driving scenes because he didn't have a driver's license, which not surprised once they started production. So he had a lot more work than everybody else. It looks like, yeah. So uh, Left Ears was a Cadillac Seville, 1976 Cadillac Seville. I'm trying to find. Not surprised by that. So the car that. And some Rob. Handsome Rob gets pulled over in when he he did the in his backstory they describe like he just wanted to have the longest police chase right so that's in a 1970 Chevy Nova and it's Uh, it's funny because when they talk about each character and give the backstory it feels how they set up the backstory for and Charlie's Angels when they were telling each about each of the angels back in the day that's what it felt like. You're right. Okay, so the motorcycle was a Ducati 748. This really quick search says a 1997 BMW 840 Ci. Oh, that doesn't feel yeah. right. Well, okay. Oh, yeah. So it wasn't an American car. It was nope. a BMW. Yeah. Okay, moving on from cars. So essentially the backstory on Lyle is that he created Napster, but fell asleep. And so his roommate <laughs> stole the idea. And the funny part is, is that the, the roommate in the, in the movie shown stealing the idea is actually Sean Fanning who did create Napster. So that's kind of a cool little cameo that they got him to, to do that, which to is do really that. funny. And Lyle is very salty about this. Says <laughs> that people call him the Napster, and they're like, "No, we don't do nicknames." And we're like, "Handsome Rob, Left Ear, why can't I be Napster?" And they're like, "No, no, no, so we're not calling you that." But they um, end up, they end up calling him that. Like he's such an idiot. It it did give a little bit of like a, it felt like a sh- a shout out to hackers in a sense mm-hmm. because even at one point where he takes over the the grid, yeah or the traffic the lights. Street lights yeah he puts like his message calling himself the napster i'm like what yeah. an idiot but i do also love the integration of music when we are having these introductions mm-hmm. to each of the characters and 
the soundtrack is amazing, but like a lot of old school 70s music, which mm-hmm. I think, again, is just a nod to the original movie. And then, like I said, Handsome Rob just likes to to drive fast. <laughs> and then Left Ear has always been into explosives and blowing shit up. And so he lost his hearing by blowing up a toilet in, it looked like elementary school. He yeah. was little. Does, um, he just reminds me pretty much, I hate to say it, but it's just the same character from Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Except without a bad British accent. And then Charlie, he's just like, I've always been a thief. Like, <laughs> ever the the quote he uses, I ever since I still have baby teeth, I've been a thief. So it shows him <laughs> stealing the bully's money that the bully has been stealing from other kids. So you kind of see like he's a thief, but also kind of has that heart of gold. Like I'm gonna get the the mean guy. Like I'm only gonna steal from the bad guys type thing. It, it's giving the lyrics of popping my collar by three six mafia that's all i hear when you're describing that scene <laughs> so they start coming up with a plan they kind of scope out steve's new house he has guard dogs and the left ear is like i don't fuck with guard dogs no he's going through like every barrier right he's like oh they've got those gates i could blow it up with this oh, they've got this, I can blow it with the, that. But then as soon as the dogs come up, he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I I can't do this, y'all. I'm out. Like, he's like, I, I don't fuck with dogs. And so Charlie's like, what happened? He's like, I'm the deaf one. I said, I, don't, I had an issue with him. He's like, what the fuck I have to tell you? What happened? I don't want to elaborate further on this discussion, <laughs> Charlie. So then they're they're also scoping out like scoping out at night and they see Steve's really kind of a boring dude and he just likes to watch his TV at night. <laughs> He's like the worst thief ever. Cause he doesn't do anything interesting with the money. He You know what he does with the money? He has to like buy extra security or armored trucks and a helicopter <laughs> in order to safely transport his gold. Yeah, he's he's basic. So basic. Yeah. So basic, Steve. Stella is so there's a scene after they kind of are doing the surveillance. There's a scene with Stella. She's practicing safe cracking in her room. She has headphones in and she's like, I I listen to like ambient noise to kind of get myself in that headspace. Like there might be other things going on and I have to like focus. So she doesn't hear when Charlie knocks on the door. So she comes he comes in and tell me why she's cracking the safe in her bra. I have no judgment for that. I do a lot of things without clothes in my own house. I'm home by myself. I'm home by myself. I just, I guess I'm what Arrested Development fans call a never nude. Like I have (laughs) to be wearing something, even if I'm alone in my house. Yeah, no. I don't know. Titties out, ass out, don't care. (laughs) Like it's my house. If I'm alone, like... What does it matter? 
unless it's, so, unless it's cold. <laughs> so Charlie comes in just to say, like, we found a way in. We're going to, like, essentially unplug his cable outside. And then <laughs> he'll call the cable company. They'll try and send someone out. But we're going to have you pose as the cable person because he knows what everyone else looks like. The only one Steve doesn't know what she looks like is Stella. I still wouldn't have chanced it because he probably did his due. I would imagine he did his due diligence to figure out who could potentially want to come after him later because he seems paranoid enough. So I don't know. I just, I thought they could have gotten someone else. You've been working with John long enough. You didn't see a picture in his wallet like, oh, here's my daughter, Stella. Yeah. But anyway, we'll just (laughs) ignore that giant plot hole. Right. So Charlie comes in and is like, would you feel comfortable posing as a cable repair person so that we can get the inside layout of his house type thing? Right. And so she literally says, whatever it takes, I'm all in, like whatever you need me to do. So now we get a scene where Jason Statham, handsome Rob, is flirting with Becky the cable repair lady and and Lyle is sitting in like the driver's seat of their car kind of like mocking handsome Rob and what potentially the discussion with Becky was going to be and apparently F Gary F Gary Gray said he cried from laughing so hard from that impression that Seth Seth Green improvised and so he kept it in the movie but Whatever handsome Rob said works because he sleeps with her. And while she's still asleep, he makes an impression of the truck key so that Stella can steal it. There's nothing worse than a man sleeping with me to try to get something to steal from me. Like, that feels like such a violation. Because it is. Right. I mean, unless he doing the job well if you know what I mean then at least it's like well it was really good actually though that's worse because then you're like fiending for him and you're like damn stolen dick man <laughs> all you had to do was ask and I would have given, <laughs> yeah, would have given it to you fuck that job <laughs> fuck that cable company in that car <laughs> <laughs> so now Stella as Becky, the repair, cable repair girl, shows up, shows up, or actually, hold on, let me reverse that. So cable goes out, Steve calls the guard house because heaven forbid he called the cable people himself <laughs> and Oscar Nunez. <laughs> Oscar is there working before he got to dunder why can't i say what is it dunder mifflin and before he got to dunder (laughs) it's oscar mifflin it's it's oscar before he got to dunder mifflin there you go or before he hid out in sitka alaska as ramon he was in another movie with her first though besides the proposal there was another movie he was in with her oh no no he showed up again after the proposal in the newest movie she just did with shannon tatum yes this lost city 
Yes. I, at first I was like, Law City? That's not what it is called, but you're right. <laughs> hey there, welcome to the Latchkey Sibs, the podcast that challenges three siblings to take a look at our childhood movie cabinet and one film at a time, criticize or defend the viewing choices we made as kids. I'm your host, Gray Baker, and I'm the youngest. I'm Holland, and I'm the oldest. I'm Allegra, and I'm Scorpio. So what we do, each week one of us will present a movie to be critiqued, and the other two will be scoring it based on five specific categories. Can we follow this? I put it at a six. It's a pretty ridiculous plot. It's a pretty ridiculous plot. Appropriate for children. I had it at a seven. I'm keeping it at a seven. Oh, come on. I have it as a nine. Each week's score will be added up, and at the end of each season, the sibling with the most points will be labeled Master of the Remote Control, and the loser will be forced to do some sort of punishment. I think we can let the magic be whatever the magic needs to be because it's a movie, Classic and it's a children's movie. wavy children's movie answer. I'm just saying. I'm like, listen, you old fuck. <laughs> you just mean to your friend. Okay, the horse scene. Jesus Christ, yes. that is erotica. I also wrote, yes. this movie is horny. This whole it's movie so horny. is so horny. Okay, we are the latchkey sibs here for you. Reviewing movies from back in our youth. Tune in every Wednesday to find out who becomes the master of the remote control on Latchkey Sibs. So uh, he has to call the cable company. They can't come to Thursday, but Charlie and his team are eavesdropping in on the conversation. They, they've they tapped the line. And so they call the guardhouse back and say, hey, we're in the area. A tech's finishing up at another job. Can we come now? So then they send... Stella as Becky into the house for some surveillance to get the lay of the the house. They give her what I'm assuming is the same pin that they gave Gracie Lou Freebush in <laughs> Miss Congeniality. It's the same American flag pin with a camera in it. <laughs> Maybe it's just certified from the FBI. I mean, like as soon as she gets in there, he is just so gross automatically trying to hit on her and she's you know trying to discreetly she gets into the closet to see the safe and she's able to get to the places that they need but the whole time he's just badgering her trying to ask her out he's just so lame it it just gross Sorry, I just was so annoyed no, you're fine. by his yeah, character. Yeah, he, he keeps asking her on a date too. Yeah, and she and eventually she does say yes. Yeah, and so then she like just goes over and like resets the router, and she's like, "It's fixed." He's like, "Are you sure?" And then at that moment, left ear plugs the cable back in. She's like, "Look, et voila." <laughs> that was that was it. That's all that needed to be done. But now that Lyle has the schematics, the schematics of the house based on her surveillance footage, he kind of determines that the hallways are six feet wide and will fit a Mini Cooper through them. 
And so they're like, aha, that's how we get the gold out. Right. So then they go and they're like practicing on a track and, and Stella's having the time of her life, but they realize like it's too much weight for one mini Cooper. And so they're going to need a couple of mini Coopers. Handsome Rob brings in his body work guy wrench to kind of put lift kits in the mini Coopers, make sure that they can handle the weight of the gold bars in the back for the heist. Lyle gets in, he's able to hack into the traffic lights. So we've got that solved. And this whole time, the way they figured out where Steve was is because the gold bars had a Balinese dancer imprinted on each of the bars and they started surfacing at, I'm assuming it's like a pawn shop in LA. So they knew that's where Steve was because of that intel. Um, And so Steve has been going and selling like a bar, like I think it was, he was doing four bars at a time to this pawn shop owner who apparently is his cousin's part of the Ukrainian mob in LA because Steve is not pleased with the pawn shop owner and ends up killing him, taking the gold bars and the money. And then the cousin walks in, sees that he is shot. And so now he's out for vengeance. Well, it's, it's because the cousin, I mean, what he does is wrong, obviously, but the, what really like turns Steve off or like freaks him out is that the man can't keep his mouth shut. And Mm -hmm. he, Clearly he knew about the heist in Venice. Right. So he's trying to figure out like, where did, who have you been talking to? Mm -hmm. Then they're able to track it back because there's a Skinny Pete, I think his name. Yes. So Skinny Pete is asked by Charlie to try to like ask around to see if anybody has, if these gold bars have come up anywhere. And that's like where the connection is. So when Steve kills this Ukrainian guy and the, not knowing that his cousin was like legit no he means business it actually gets back to skinny pete Mm -hmm. which gets back to charlie so it's just it's not looking good (laughs) yeah because then the ukrainian guy assumes that charlie was the one who right whacked his cousin but it's good in a way that it like came out early enough and it Mm -hmm. it's not like he came in in the middle of them trying to do the job and like fuck things up so it actually works in charlie and the team's favor later on we find out but so another like glitch (laughs) is that the day that they're supposed to go and do the heist at steve's house his neighbor unexpectedly has like this huge party yeah and they can't do it with all those witnesses which also means that Stella has to go on the actual date so she doesn't cause suspicion or so that she could get him to ask Steve to get her ask her out again and and then use that as the the opportunity to get him out of the house the house so but that date does not go according to plan. She says, I wrote down. It's the devil inside of her or something like that. She says a, a phrase that her dad always said. And it's like not a commonplace oh, phrase. So the devil inside, I don't trust. Right. And so he's like, I've only ever heard one other pe- 
person say that and his name was John and he had a daughter about your age. So like Steve puts the the pieces together. And so then he has a change of plans and decides to move the safe with the gold in it from his house. Well, he, safe location. he does this because as he's like gripping on Estella, handsome Rob, Charlie and left ear all come expose themselves and he realizes that they're not dead charlie does knock him out i do like when stella tries to go after him because it feels like the most girl-like situation Mm -hmm. in the way that she doesn't like just punch him she like right like her (laughs) arms are like flailing it out of control like she just wants she just wants to get her hands on him yeah. and they hold her back. But Charlie does eventually hit him. Charlie, it's, and Steve doesn't seem to have any fighting skills whatsoever. No. I feel like this character becomes the character in the Glass Onion. <laughs> it's very much the same like quirky, smarmy dude, ready to backstab anyone vibes. Yeah. I also realized that Jason Statham doesn't do any of his normal fight scenes, which I enjoy very much. So I'm, I'm actually, I feel like it would have been nice. Just one, just one, like one security guard trying to fuck him up, you know, using his, he could use his car and stuff like that. that I would have enjoyed that. I just had a thought. Crank is 2006, so technically we could do it. We could totally do it for my birthday episode. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know you liked Crank that much. It was the first movie I saw at the Alamo Draft House in Austin. Like, it was my first movie I ever watched in Austin. Mm -hmm. So that's what I always remember. I've never seen it. Oh, Danielle. Yeah, I, I have never seen it. I've seen a lot of his movies. I just haven't seen that one. Maybe we should do a live with Craig because <laughs> that movie. Woo. If you thought the big hit was cuckoo crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so now that the gig is the jig is up, the jig is up. They find out because Napster tells everybody, aka Lyle, that he overheard that. Steve is he hired a helicopter he hired rigs trucks or whatever so they're trying to figure out like how are they going to get the money away from him and they have to change everything and so they've decided to bring the mechanic guy back in to help and he's like look I'll help but I have to be all the way in Mm -hmm. so he's in on everything and I think they pretty much are like they can figure out the which Brinks truck it's going to be by which where the helicopter is going because he's going to be in the helicopter. He will not keep his eyes off of his gold. So, but at uh, the same time, Lyle uses the traffic cams and measures the distance between the bumper and the ground on each of the trucks to de- determine which one is riding lower to mm-hmm. confirm which truck has the gold in the it. safe in it yeah. and then the trucks very conveniently all have like different numbers painted on the side and the top so okay. he's like 128 we're going after 128 <laughs> and so then it's kind of like this chase 
through it's not a chase at this point because he hasn't passed the mini coopers but it's just like the truck's trying to weave through traffic where all the lights are out and so lyle is kind of just guiding the truck exactly where he wants him to go by switching on and off the the green lights and right outside i'm pretty sure his man's chinese theater wrench is posted up and as the truck gets closer and closer to where wrench is kind of thrown out a little traffic cone. He's like, okay, now guys. And the mini at the same time as Lyle is guiding the, the armored car through the city, the mini Coopers drive down into the subway and like hop on the tracks in front of the, the Metro train and so that they can get down underneath where the truck is going to fall so that yeah. they can steal the gold. And in this scene, the so the actors did most of their stunts when it came to like the driving. They even did these scenes where they're driving down the stairs at the LA Metro. Girl, I'd have been scared. Okay. <laughs> and when they have to get in front of the train before the train actually stops all the way because they end up getting the the train stuck there so that nobody could really get in between the like it's just kind of like a stop so nothing can get by past them and then they're able to drive all the way to where they're little like literally under where the Brinks truck is Mm -hmm. and that's where left ear has set up a bomb to blow up which I'm surprised that like how he's able to just like blow it up so it's just that square and not like the whole street but you know he he knows his his job lyle helps him and we see kind of a smaller version earlier when they blow the blow the floor to the safe Mm -hmm. so lyle is very good at like measurements and exactly like where you need to place things to get it to blow up i mean like i believe it i'm just i'm always surprised that at that kind of stuff because you know I don't, I don't. And then I love wrench is like next to this big semi truck with a Pepsi sign on the side. And as soon as like the truck falls through the hole, he like hits something and the sign flops over the hole. So you can't immediately tell probably also for safety. So no other cars kind of like Like driving after it. it. But at the same time is like the Brinks truck is falling through the hole the helicopter has to go around a building. And so it's like, they lose sight of the truck for like <laughs> 10 seconds and then like it's gone. And he's like, where the fuck did it go? <laughs> Although there's no cursing in this movie because it's PG-13. And this is where Stella, it's her turn because mm-hmm. she has to crack the safe. But what they didn't know is that he changed the safes to a totally different model and she can't use her normal technology her tools yeah tools so she has to crack it by like hand and listening and feeling by touch which you kind of figure that this is what's going to come down to because they foreshadowed it a few times talking about you know that she does using use all these like gadgets and also the fact that like that john used his hand he did it by touch mm-hmm. so she's able to you know, she feels the pressure, but she's able to crack the the case and get crack the case, crack the safe and and get all the gold out. So I like 
it was very ingenious, I feel, how they had like that piece of fabric that they used as like a sled. So two of them were just loading, offloading the the gold onto that fabric and it was sliding over to the cars and then there were two loading up. Mm-hmm. Very efficient. Yeah. A plus they, for effort. Charlie is a, he's a, he's a thinking man, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he, he's the man with the plan. He doesn't add anything else to this movie, but he got a plan. Well executed, Charlie. <laughs> uh, at the same time, Steve has some like motorcycle henchmen that are going through the metro trying to get to the Mini Coopers. And so we do get a little bit of a chase scene. The Minis are driving through a storm drain. They They get out. And now they just have to get to the Union Pacific rail yard is like Mm -hmm. their destination unfortunately steve is onto them in the helicopter so they split up and and charlie's like i'm gonna lead him away from you guys and i'll meet you at the rail station and so now it's a weird chasing with a helicopter and a mini cooper and they go under an overpass and the helicopter like literally flies under the overpass and there were no f- visual effects used for the scene. Um, they actually did it. And so it was kind of a big game of chicken. And Charlie eventually uses this ramp and like jumps over a car and stuff and gets out from in front of the helicopter and is able to make his way to the rail yard where all of the Mini Coopers are being loaded onto okay. a train car to be whisked away. And at this point, Steve has gotten out of his helicopter and he steals someone's car and he follows them to the train yard and he thinks he's got the jump on them. He he finds Wrench, not knowing Wrench is a part of the team and says, look, I'll give you $5,000 if you let me on this train. And then Wrench is like, okay, he opens the door for him. And then he's like, okay, I'll give you half now and half when you help me load the gold off the train. But when he gets in there, Charlie gets the jump on him and is like, bitch, you thought you were going to get this gold? I don't think so. And then Steve pulls out a gun and then (laughs) surprise, surprise, the Ukrainians come out. He has no idea who the hell they are, but he's like, once the guy's like you killed my cousin he's like oh no no i found him dead and the ukrainian mob boss guy or whatever he's like you're right he is not creative at all (laughs) (laughs) and Uh, and steve does try to pay the ukrainian guy off and he's like no i already made a deal with this dude and he's got all your gold so what you gonna pay me with right and instead of in and the Ukrainian guy's like and instead of shooting you, I'm gonna take you back to because the Ukrainian guy owns like a wrecking yard, and he's like, I'm gonna take you back and show you all my machines that I have. So <laughs> apparently, Steve is about to be tortured. And hey, Steve killed. <laughs> he's getting everything. He let you get out. Let him get everything he deserves. hundred yes. percent. And. I was I was looking to see if I could find the name of the actual actor. I I feel bad that we're just calling him the Ukrainian guy, but that's what it's going to be today because it's yeah. that's not on the notes. And so Stella does get her punch in on Steve before mm-hmm. they haul him away. And then the last shot of the movie is they're all like in a dining car on the train, celebrating and toasting to John. 
And then there's a voiceover at the end saying what each of them got with the money. So Hanson Rob got his Aston Martin. Left Ear got his dream house in the south of Spain with a room just for his shoes. Lyle was on the cover of Wired, got his <laughs> kick-ass stereo that blows a woman's clothes off. And apparently that woman was Jason Statham's girlfriend at the time. Interesting. Why in the scene with Seth and not him? He She could have played the police officer pulling him yeah, over. Yeah, no clue. No clue. Interesting. <laughs> And then Charlie and Stella, Charlie found someone he wants to spend the rest of his life life with and is going to hold on for to forever. And that is the Italian job. So interesting. I found an article because, you know, we were talking about how Charlize was actually one of the best drivers that everybody said that she was one of the best drivers. So Not too long ago at a Comic-Con, she talked about her experience on the set and described it as a sexist environment. She said that for sure the Italian job was a great experience in the sense that she realized there were still so much misconception around women in the genre, even though in that film, the action is really based on cars She's like, we had to physically do a lot of that stuff. The only good thing that came out of that experience was that there was a real pressure to pull off those stunts with the actors. And okay, she felt like she believed that there was an unfair process during the film. I was the only woman with a bunch of guys. And I remember vividly getting the schedule in our pre-production And they had scheduled me for six weeks more car training than any of the other guys. And it was just so insulting. In true Charlie's spirit, she says, it put a real fire under her ass. I was like, all right, you guys want to play this game? Let's go. And I made it a point to outdrive all of those guys. Of course, she really did pulling off many of her own stunts in, in the Hollywood film. It was a huge moment of feeling like, yeah, we can do all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Women are so unfairly thought of or treated when it comes to the genre. And she said the good news now is that we've kind of changed the genre for women. I think there's great evidence where we now know you can't hide behind ignorance anymore. Audiences love these films. When she was driving, she used once she would be Mark Wahlberg, she she would call him like a baby. She was, she'd just like shit talk the hell out of all of them as she was driving past them. So gotta give it up for that. And like we said, the screenwriting team was Donna and Wayne Powers, but still, I mean, they, the screenwriters didn't really have anything to do per se about how she was treated, but they didn't give her much to work with in the script either. Neil Purvis and Robert Wade actually wrote a draft of the remake, but it was rejected by Paramount. That's how Donna and Wayne ended up getting a chance to write the script. And this wasn't really a remake so much as a retelling of the Italian job. Like it has a completely different storyline, only like a couple of names were used here and there. And like the Aston Martin was like an homage to michael king's character and also the the mini coopers were like the only real tie-in 
So other cast and crew, Gray oh. had been interested in working with Wahlberg since seeing him in Boogie Nights. After reading the script for The Italian Job, Gray contacted Wahlberg, who fell in love with it after reading it himself. And Mark Wahlberg actually was going to go for the role of Handsome Rob, I think. Or was it yeah, Steve? Steve? It was Steve. Yeah. But it was Gary who was like, I think you could be a great Charlie. And... F. Gary Gray had never seen the Italian job before doing the movie. So him and his, I think his DP, they both watched it once just to like get a gist of what the differences were and, and kind of went from there. Seth Green said he was attracted to the project because of the script. And Charlize was the first choice for Gray. And Mark Wahlberg definitely recommended her as well. Um, I think they had done a movie. Did they do a movie before this together? I think they did. Yes. I can't remember what it's called. So, yeah. And then Gray's casting director, Sheila Jaffe, 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 suggested Jason Statham for the role of Handsome Rob. And Gray agreed with her choice. So that's how we got Jason Statham. And for the Metro Tunnel set, for that whole scene, the set was so huge that it didn't actually fit in any soundstage in LA. So it had to be built in a hangar where the first space shuttle was assembled. They used every inch available in that hangar, which wow. is kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> what else? In addition to the stunt driving, which again, this shows you how well... Charlize was because Jason had like I said he did the transporter and in that role he had to drive a lot yeah so if she was able well, to be I wonder if a lot of that was just like car dollies and stuff though and he's right. like, whereas the Italian job they would wanted to be very faithful to the actors actually performing the stunts valid very true the yards was the other movie that they starred in together in 2000 Mark, Charlize and Mark Wahlberg yeah. And in addition to the stunt driving course, they all received Jason got two days driving from a driving tutor from Damon Hill, who's the British ex world champion Formula One driver. Yet Charlie still beat him. <laughs> 32 Mini Coopers were used throughout shooting. I think that's all the fun all we facts got. we got for y'all. Before we get into our readings, just got to remind you guys, if you have anything that you want to like tell us, something that we missed, something that you thought was interesting, something you agree with, disagree with, make sure you hit us up at No More Late Fees on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. And Jackie, we'll start with you. What is your today rating of this movie? I enjoyed it. Like, like I said, it, any heist movie for the most <laughs> part, I'll, I'll at least sit and watch. I'm going to give it a five day. Yeah, I I didn't, you know, I didn't hate it, but I definitely don't feel like I'm I'm not going to buy it. And again, like I remember liking it a lot, but not doing any going anywhere with it. Rewatching it made me realize why. I'm still I'll still keep it at a 5-day rental. It's not horrible, but I I probably am not going to go back and watch it again. Yeah. But if like someone had it on TV, not going to be like turn this shit off yeah <laughs> so if you have any opinions on the italian job or maybe you want to tell us your favorite 
heist or caper movie from our time frame, hit us up at our quick drop 909-601 and MLF 909-601-6653. You can twat us at the Twitters or leave a message on our Spotify for Podcasters account and you can be featured on a future episode. And join us next week as we cover one of my favorites, A Long Kiss Goodnight. And as always, be kind and rewind.